says, get that India, big boy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're going to keep we're going to keep the TV on just for the next 20, 25 minutes or so. Uh, we're going to be with you. We're the Cumberland Throw. We have our podcasts that we do every week, every home match. We're here to talk about the game, and tonight we have the great Brett Kenny. How about a round of applause for Brett Kenny? So we're going to have a bit of a chat to Brett. Uh, we'll be, of course, leaving the TV on so you can watch the, the game between the Bunnies and the Bulldogs. But we're going to talk some footy. We'll talk a little bit about tonight. It sucks to talk about tonight, but we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. But uh, first of all, Brett, welcome. Thank you, Chip. Good to be here. And some of you might have noticed the other week that we had the fantastic presentation that the club made of the Premiership rings to the Premiership winners from the 1980s. Brett, there's not too many of you that have played for Parramatta and won a Premiership, so it's quite an elite group to be part of. Yeah, look, it was, it was a special day and, and um, you know, we were very thankful of the, the current football club board who came up with the idea. Or I think Ray Price actually just kept pestering them all the time about it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, it was great. And uh, I, she used to say to a few mates back home, and they said, oh, you get the ring? I said, yeah, yeah, we're getting one for every grand final that we won. I said, so we'll have knuckle dusters on. <laughs> four, four rings. And, um, and then I actually told David Lydiard, he, you believe anything, David Lydiard, but... <laughs> I said to him, he said, mate, you're not going to believe this. I said, but I'm getting a car. Subaru, <laughs> one of the sponsors, are going to give me a car because I'd scored two tries in each of those three grand finals. <laughs> so when we went down out onto the ground, he's sitting there, he said to me, what are they going to do? I said, mate, I'll bring it out shortly. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously it didn't happen. It was, I, th I think they are trying to give me a car. <laughs> but um, no, it was, it was a great day. It was good to catch up with all the guys that we... You know, you played alongside of. There was a, a lot of changes, both uh, physically and, and also um, with hair. Yes. A lot of guys yeah. had lost theirs. I shaved mine. I didn't lose mine. I shaved mine. <laughs> Someone said on the radio today but, uh, that when the Parramatta players got together for the reunion, there was like four strands of hair between them. Is that, that, that a bit cruel? Well, yeah, that was close. I think it was three, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we... As I said, a lot, there's been a lot of changes physically with a lot of guys, and um, but it was great to catch up and and uh, just reminisce about what we'd actually achieved back in the early 80s. You know, it's funny that you mentioned David Lydiard because on that night there's a few few of the players were out on the veranda there enjoying each other's company. Dave wandered in and he very kindly got up and, and joined us on the podcast. He's normally a bit of a shy fella. <laughs> yeah, look, I I. I might ask you this question, but did he take his shirt off? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I know he, he, he's pretty, pretty keen on how he looks these days. He's kept himself in great shape. Yes, he did keep his shirt on, he, Brett. He kept it on. <laughs> Normally he likes to take it off. <laughs> you know, that's one thing he likes to do is take his shirt off. <laughs> you know what? One of the things 
that struck me with um, seeing all you fellas getting together is how much you enjoy each other's company and the fact you can rib each other like that. It's, you know, it's a lifetime's friendship that it's, that it's developed. Can you talk to us about what it meant to have such good mates that you were playing together with? Yeah, look, I, I've said it for quite a while. I, I believe that was one of the reasons why we were so successful was because of the way everyone got on so well together. We, we were, I guess, like a family. We had a lot of the older guys, the Bob O'Reilly's, Ron Hildes's, Ray Price, Steve Edge. Mick Cronin, Kevin Stevens, these guys were, I guess, like the old... They'd like to be called the older brothers, not the fathers. Yep, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and all of us young guys running around. But, and we just got on so well together. And, and it was actually, I think, Ray Price that kept everything going. He always used to have um, New Year's Eve at his house. Invited all the players and their wives and girlfriends. Some blokes brought a wife and a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't me. But, you know, we, we, we were doing that for years. So we were always together. And, and then as everyone retired, we started pricey again. Said, well, how about we catch up? I think it was at Caves Beach up on, near the Central Coast. And used to catch up there for a weekend. And it just kept happening and happening. And... You talk to guys that you played against and, and they find it... Or they can't believe that we're still doing it like 30-odd years later. We, we, this year, we'll go up to the Gold Coast in October and and do it all again and try and relive and drink and eat and sleep the way we did when we were 22. And I think it starts off and we get there on a Friday night and I'm pretty sure most guys will be in bed by about 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Saturday night, probably in bed by 9.30. <laughs> so... We sort of, as much as we try and do it, we know we can't. But, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great and, and it's a very special thing because, you know, you, you can never do without a lot of friends and, and especially guys that you've, you've gone through a lot together. We, you know, we've won competitions and some of us have been away together on various tours and things like that. And, and it's always good to know that you've always got someone there. Yeah, one of the things that I really appreciate about the players of your era, Brett, is that in having the opportunity to mix with you fellas, you know, whether it be at the club or, or at a player function or what have you, is just how much you appreciated the fans. And the other week when, uh, when the reunion was on here in the presentation, I went out on the veranda to speak to some fellas and uh, Stan Jurd and and Graham Atkins were just outside the door and I, I just quickly said g'day to them but then Stan, Stan was showing me the ring and... Uh, Which one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it actually was the Premiership one so I think I was lucky. Uh, but, you know, it was lovely because then uh, Stan's wife, she said, look, let me take a photo of all of you together and, uh, and it was just like, you know, I, I mean, is there... Do you think there's a difference in the era with how players and, and supporters are able to interact? I, I, I think, honestly, the, the biggest thing for us was when we played, we had to work as well. Yeah. And so it sort of kept you level-headed. I know there would be, there'd be weekends where we would have got beaten and you go to work the next, the next day or, or on the Monday and, and um, you'd cop a bit of a bagging yeah. from all the people that you work with and then... The following week you win, 
and next thing you're the greatest player in the world, you know. <laughs> but I think that was a big plus for us because we were brought down to earth, we, we were level-headed, we could appreciate what the fans were going through to earn their money to pay to come and watch us play because we were doing the same thing. And we often, like I often get people say to me, oh, I didn't think we'd be able to come over and talk to you. And you go, well, why? You know, they just thought because we played football that we're a different sort of breed. And I said, well, it's not the case. I said, all the guys I've played with, you'd be able to walk up and say hello to them and have a chat, you know, they'll chat for ages. But I think that was a big thing, is the fact that we worked. And these guys nowadays aren't working, they're professional footballers, and unfortunately they're not out and about with the fans. And I guess it's, it's probably difficult for them to, to sort of relate to to the fans and what they do and, and that. So I think maybe they need to be told a few things and sort of get to appreciate, you know, what, what the people or the fans are doing to, to earn their money because they're paying money to come and watch these guys play and unfortunately they, they paid a lot of money to come and watch these guys play tonight and it wasn't real good. They should have got their money back. Yeah, we'll, we'll get on to what happened tonight in a moment. Is it, is it also a case that back in the day there was no mobile phones, like you could interact with people and, you know, you're not getting photos taken or videos taken and, you know, you could be, not, not do anything wrong, but you could be yourself, you know, like you'd feel like you could relax and hang out with with. with, with supporters or anyone? Yeah, look, I, I, I think that's a valid point. I mean, we obviously there was no mobile phones around when, when we were playing and and you did. I mean, I, I think it's like that for society. I, I think a lot of the young people now find it very difficult to have a conversation with everyone because they're that used to being on their phone, doing things on the phone, um, sending messages to each other. Uh, you know, I, I've seen... I've seen young people sitting two tables away from each other sending messages instead of just getting up and having a chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, and the other thing is, you know, we never used to do anything wrong. So there's <laughs> <laughs> no problem there. We're never going to get caught doing anything. But I just think guys today, and, it, you know, people say oh, it's pretty tough for them because, because of mobile phones and everything. They've got to be careful what they do. Well, the thing is they're getting paid a lot of money now. And when you get paid a lot of money... A lot of people don't really, even though they don't know you, they still don't like you because they're not happy with the fact that you're earning a lot of money and all you do is play rugby league and they're working 40 hours a week or whatever and, and not earning it. So everyone sort of, they, they don't sort of like you for a while and they're looking for things to try and get you on and, and that's where I say to the players that, you know, it is tough, yes it is, you know, 20 year old guys are struggling and they'd like to go out and have a good time and they mightn't be able to do it. You say to them, well, mate, if you're earning 500000 a year and you're 20 years of age, ask how many of your mates are earning the same amount of money and you're just going to have to change your life and learn to live that way. Because if you don't, you're going to ruin a good career. And, and I guess not long down the track, they'll be able to do whatever they want with a bit of money behind them too. Well, exactly right. I mean, you know, a lot of us go, we're still working and... And you think, you know, these guys now, with the money they're earning at the moment, if they do the right thing, keep themselves out of trouble, um, leave ladies alone, and just, you know, just make sure they, they play good footy, concentrate on their footy, 
they could set themselves up so at the age of 34, 35, they won't have to work anymore. So question for you then, with regard to the players of the past and the players of the present, should there be more of a role that former players can play with regard to maybe being mentors or, or provide guidance for some of the younger players these days? I know that like the club has their welfare department who do a, a tremendous job and, it's a, and it is a big job that they have to do, but is there a role there for, for players who have been there and done that? I, I, I honestly think there is. I, I look, you, look at, you look at these guys and, 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 yes, we all say, you know, they've got to smarten up, they've got to do the right thing, they, don't, they do some stupid things. The problem is a lot of these guys have just been brought into the system from school. They've never known any different. Maybe if they had someone that spoke to them and explained to them what it was like before they became, these guys become professional footballers, they might learn to appreciate the situation they're in and understand that, you know, we're trying to explain to them that they could make a good living and, and have themselves set up with a good life if they make sure they do the right thing. And, and as hard as it may be, if they look at it and just say, well, like I said earlier, they look at their mates that, that aren't playing rugby league and say, well, how much are they earning a year? And look at their lifestyles like and look what your lifestyle's like because you're playing rugby league, you've been in, you've been in a fortunate situation, you're now earning two or 300000 a year. None of them would ever be able to work at a job and earn that much money. So, you know, they've got to realise that this is what they need. As I said, they need someone to explain that to them because... A lot of them have come from school straight into the system. They've never known any difference. Yeah, OK. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. Um, and, John, in a moment, I'll get you to give me some key stats. But, Brett, there's probably not too much that we can talk about in a positive light about tonight because there's not really any highlights from our eels at all. And whilst acknowledging that we had very, very important players, key players that were missing from the team. Can you tell me what it was tonight that maybe disappointed you the most, where you maybe were expecting a little bit more? I think all of us were expecting that it was going to be a tough ask to get a victory tonight. I think we, we can be straight up about that. Like, if, if the Eels had got a win tonight, it would have been one of the big upset wins of the season, given the, the two lineups. But what disappointed you the most? Well, look, I think obviously we had we had players out, but they weren't just players. They were key players, key positions that we had missing. And it was always going to be very difficult. But the thing that disappointed me, two things. One was the defence up the middle. It wasn't all that great. But the other thing was the guys that came in to replace our representative players, to me, didn't take the opportunity to show the coach and, and the rest of the coaching staff what they could do given the opportunity to play in first grade. And that's what it's all about. If you get given an opportunity, you want to make sure you grab it with both hands. And tonight, I think some of those guys that were brought in um, just didn't do that. They, they didn't play well enough. They didn't show the coach that they could, they could play that position. And if ever um, you know, one of these players are missing again, they're the bloke they can call on to, to do the job. And it just didn't happen tonight. And as I said, the defence was very ordinary. And it just seems to me that 
When you look at you look at some of the top sides, when they start scoring points, they start to kick up another gear. They move up another gear. Parramatta don't seem to be able to do that. We seem to be stuck in the same gear all the time, and um, they can't go with the other teams. When they're playing lesser teams, yes, they can do that. But when they're playing some of the top teams, they just can't seem to go go with them, and that's one of our problems. Well, is just on tonight. Is there, a, is there ever a tipping point where it's just too many key players that are out and, it's, and the rest of the team seem to lose their way? Or if you're full-time footballers, that just shouldn't happen? Well, I don't think it should happen. I mean, obviously, the more players you have out of your team, like regular players that you have out of your team, it makes it very difficult. But you would look at it in today's game... And they've been professional footballers. So, you know, the, the replacement players that go into the first grade side tonight would have been part of the top 30 squad. So they would have been training full time all week. They would have known what was going to happen. They would have known the game plans. And yet they still couldn't perform. And that's not a good thing for those players. And it's not a good thing for the coach because he'd be looking at them going, well, these aren't the blokes that we can, we can rely on if we need to bring them back in. So now he'd be saying, well, we might have to look for some other players to bring in, but they mightn't be able to. Yeah, well, it wasn't a very good performance in the New South Wales Cup tonight either. But let's, let's now look at the other team, the Warriors. Obviously, they, they performed quite well tonight. Um, there are some surprising stats that I'll get John to read out in a minute because you would, you'd, you'd actually be surprised to read what some of the key stats are. But... Tell me what impressed you about the Warriors tonight. Well, I just like the way they played the game. They, they, they throw the ball around a lot. Um, I, I think when you look at the, the halfback, he's playing now like a 22-year-old now. He, he's, obviously, something's happened over there with the new coach. Did you think he was finished? I, I thought he was finished. I didn't think he... Maybe not completely finished, but I didn't think he'd play like this again. Oh, no. Like this time last year, you, you would be saying... To him, if they found themselves a quality halfback, he wouldn't be playing first grade. And all the... I don't know what the coach has done, but whatever he's done, it's worked. But, you know, they've, they've all, the Warriors have always had a decent side. They've always had a good pack of forwards, a big pack of forwards. Their problem was always consistency and being able to play for 80 minutes. Nowadays, they seem to be able to do that. Parramatta were beaten by a very good side. The unfortunate thing was it was, you know, Parramatta were, were very ordinary and they copped a hiding. But I was saying before the game to people that if Parramatta got beaten by six points, it wouldn't be a major concern because the side they're playing is a very good team. And, and they, they just control the football. They just do the simple things correctly. They scored some great tries on their left side. Our right side defence was, was pretty ordinary. We, you know, they... they the Warriors did, they threw the ball wide and, and created overlaps and everything. And I still get frustrated with wingers who don't watch the ball, worry about the bloke that's in front of him that hasn't got the ball. You know, mate, he can't do anything, he hasn't got the ball. They had one there where Sivo, I think it was, came in, took the inside centre or the centre on the inside of the winger and the ball went straight across his head. If he watches the ball, he takes the intercept. Yeah. I know, speaking to Neville Glover recently at Parramatta Training, he has some very strong ideas about 
what wingers are doing incorrectly these days. Give us a wave, Neville. Uh, just the positioning of the wingers, that it allows far too many opportunities for their opponents. Well, you see it, you see it happen in every game. And you see it every week. It, it, you just, and it's not always just the winger. Sometimes it's a, the centre or the back row who is ever, whoever on the inside of the winger. And they've got this idea that they've been told, well, this is the guy you're going to mark and this is the guy you've got to tackle. So they don't look at anything else other than that guy that's in front of them. And you go, well, that guy that's in front of you can't do any damage to the team because he hasn't got the ball in his hand. We're always taught to watch that there's only one guy that can create any problems for you and that's the man with the football in his hand. So when you were moving up, you knew where the guy was that you were marking, but then you kept your eye on the bloke that had the ball in his hands. That's how you pick up an intercept. You can read that he's going to pass the ball and you just take, keep your eye on the ball when he releases it. You catch it and away you go. Well, you, did, you did take a few intercepts in your time, Brett, so I think you're a, a fair person to make comment on uh, the technique of getting an intercept. Well, that, I mean, that was, that's a, but it's quite a simple thing. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work. You know, the guy throws a dummy and you get caught out. But these guys nowadays, they just they don't watch the man that's got the ball in his hand. And, and as I said, that's the most important person on the field. He's the only one that can create any problems for you. The guys that haven't got the ball in their hand can't do anything. They've got to wait for, until they get the ball. OK, so how far... Based on what you've seen during the season so far and what you've seen tonight, how far can the Warriors go this season? Oh, look, I, I think it was only a couple of weeks ago I was saying to a guy that they're my smoky. I thought if they can finish in the top four, um, the way they play, if anything could happen, they could finish up in the grand final. I don't know where they're, where they're situated at the moment, but... Look, they've got a good pack of forwards, providing they don't get too many injuries and to key players. And, um, you know, I, I think they can go a hell of a long way. John, I, I mentioned before that there were some stats that were surprising tonight. Can you read out some of the key stats that maybe people wouldn't, wouldn't believe were the actual numbers? Yeah, in a game where the Warriors were more than comfortable victors, 46 to 10, some things really point towards that. All run metres, they were plus 400. 12 line breaks to three. Those two stats really suggest the Warriors dominated through the middle, like you were saying, Brett. Around the ruck, they were really in control of the game. But what caught our eye were, in terms of uh, the possession, Warriors ahead uh, was, here we are, 56 to 44%, with uh, just under eight minutes of time possession in their favour. But you go down to the missed tackles, and, and the tackles completed... The Eels only made 10 more tackles, some way, somehow, despite the golf in possession. So I'm not sure if the numbers are a little bit loose first up or they need to go through a second run of the, the data there. But, yeah, it's a, what an odd game when it comes to the, the defensive discrepancies there because both teams missed 38 tackles. Uh, the Eels made only three more ineffective tackles, but the Warriors ran roughshod over them through the middle. So is it... I guess what we're getting at here, Brad, is... Um, Number one, are you being credited for a missed tackle if you're not there to make the tackle? Because, there's, you know, there's all those line breaks. Um, was it that they made better use of broken tackles? Because, I mean, Bailey Simonson, tonight he looked like he must have broken about 20 tackles on his own, but he didn't get terribly far and no-one was able to run off him anyway or take advantage of broken tackles. So is it just a case they made better use of, the, yeah, of those? As you say, when you look at the line breaks... 
um, I think it was 12 line breaks to three. So there's the game right there where the Warriors would make 12 line breaks and every it was almost like every time they made a line break they'd come up with a try. Yeah. Yeah. And with Parramatta we made three line breaks which couldn't score points. And that, that's the biggest problem. We, we, we had, as you were saying, you know, the, one of the guys was saying that he, he made a number of line breaks, just couldn't, he didn't have the support. And that was the problem. I, I think, you know, we, we were obviously down um, with the way the game was going. We, we weren't positive enough and we obviously weren't believing that players were going to make breaks and bust the line. But with the Warriors making 12 and, as I said, but they made 12 breaks. And I think they probably went close to scoring on each of those breaks they made. So I think that was where the game was won. Plus our defence was very poor. Now, Brett, uh, we've, we've already spoken a bit about the... Um, former players and uh, how great it was to get together. You've got a reunion coming up very soon, I think, in... Would it be about three or four weeks? Is it about... Would that be about right? Oh, the, um, I think it's a Blue and Gold Alliance. Yeah, they have a re reunion there every year, so that's coming up as well. So, yeah, it's always a good day, you know, I think... Um, It'll be a weekend this year, I believe. Yeah, You've got two over days. two days. See it. Reunions are never, you know, one day's never enough for a reunion. You have to now extend it over two days. So I think you're doing the Saturday luncheon into whatever time and night that goes. That might be one of those ones where you're like one in the morning, you know, and then the next day when it's match day, you'll be tucked up in bed at 7 o'clock at night or something. Yeah, they'll probably be asleep at the game. <laughs> and I'm not saying because the game's boring, but we were going to get tired. Yep. But yeah, so it'll be an interesting one. It's the first time they've had it over two days, so um, but it's really good, you know. Nice to catch up with everyone again and and that, and, and um, you know, tell a few old stories and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's always nice to have those sort of things happen. I, I want to know what is the tallest story? Have you got the tallest story that a player's ever told? Oh, jeez, I don't know. I mean, um, Stan Jurd was trying to tell me about. Like, I, I had it, this vision of his try that he scored at Brookvale Oval one day, and I said, oh, I thought it was a set move, and then he, no, he said, no, it wasn't a set move. Maybe it ended up over 50 metres, I'm not sure, but <laughs> uh, no, uh, do, the, do the tries become bigger than they were? Is it? Well, I think you're fine, yeah, most of the time, as the night goes on, depending on the number of drinks you have, as to how many metres you added on, so... There's been plenty of guys that, that have scored from five metres out, but by the end of the night they've scored 80, they've gone 85 <laughs> metres to score. And then you look at the size of it and think they couldn't run five, let alone 85. But yeah, there's, well, there's always a few. I mean, I know we're speaking of Stan Jared, we were away on our end of season trip in the Gold Coast, and Stan and myself used to go into, the, into town, do a bit of shopping. On the way back, there was a pub we had to go past just before we got to our motel. So we always used to say to each other, how about we'll have six, meaning six schooners before 12 o'clock. One day we got in there, it was 10 to 12. We ended up rolling back out of the pub. We got the six schooners down, but oh, geez, we were crooked that night. <laughs> uh, the, the different times, uh, but, uh, but Brett, it, it's been great to have you here. Just, just before we wrap up, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, just on a sombre note, uh, we did have the passing of a Parramatta player last night. Um, his name was Matty Johnson. Uh, Matty, 
was Eel player number uh, 146. He played with the Eels over 10 years. He was a front rower, back rower. He played from 1955 to 1964. He played 67 first grade games, 71 second grade games, 24 third grade games, for a total of 162 games for the Eels. He was the captain in 1964 of the very first graded Parramatta Eels team to win a premiership. So he's down in history there. He was a great man for the club during his career and then afterwards he was involved with the Blue and Gold Alliance, did a lot of work for that. So can we maybe have a round of applause for Matty Johnson? And Brett, thank you again for coming over and joining us here in the in the club. I'm sure if people want to grab a photo or an autograph or something like that, you'd be happy to do so. Neville Glover's up the back there as well. I'm sure Neville wouldn't mind having a, an autograph or a, or a photo taken as well or a bit of a chat. Ladies and gentlemen, Brett Kenny. And that brings to a, a conclusion our post-match podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll actually be doing a pre-game podcast before the match against the Titans. So we'll be on around about 3 o'clock. It's a Sunday afternoon game. So uh, come in here, Jack's Bar and Grill, catch us then. Thank you to Parramatta Leagues Club, the home of the Eels, for making, for making this place truly the home of the Eels on match days. Thank you again, everyone. Thank you, John. Thank you for coming along.